0: Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Well, today I am so pleased to welcome one of the best film writers currently working today, the wonderful Sheila O'Malley, a regular film critic for RogerEbert.com and a member of the prestigious New York Film Critics Circle. Sheila's work has also appeared in Film Comment, the New York Times, the LA Times, Criterion Collection, Sight and Sound, and other outlets. A scene from her full-length script july and half of august was turned into a short film which played at the albuquerque film and music experience as well as at ebert fest she's written the narration scripts for two tribute reels played at the lifetime achievement oscar ceremony one for recipient jenna Rollins, read by angelina jolie and one for recipient ann v coates read by diane lane Additionally, she writes about actors, movies, and Elvis at her personal site, the Sheila Variations. Sheila, thank you so much for being here. I love your work and your passion for film. So, how are you doing and how's summer treating you so far? Well, thank you for having me. Um, I have also been a fan of
1: your podcast. It's amazingly robust. It's amazing the guests that you have and this year scope of subjects like you never know what someone is going so I'm really happy to be a part of it now so um thank you for having you (laughs) um yeah excuse me I'm I'm completely drenched um it's humid humid here in my little beach town and um but I'm very excited to dig into the topic that we have decided to
0: discuss today. Absolutely. Well, I've read your work for years, and I'm always so taken in by the way you can and do approach film from the perspective of an actor, a fan, and also a historian. As someone who also loves Elvis, your writing on The King is my absolute favorite. I've always wanted to know how you first became interested in all of this, in movies, Elvis, acting, writing, etc obviously there are some wonderful pieces on um, the Sheila variations and encompassing your recollections. So I thought I would let you decide how you'd like to take it from here. Were you always a lover of film?
1: Um, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think like most kids, you just kind of get swept away in whatever stories, um, you know, and I grew up in an era where there really wasn't that much choice on, you know, yeah. we didn't have a, million channels, but there were these great, um, I grew up in Rhode Island. And so channel 56 um, in out of Boston was a local channel and they played old movies, you know, just random. It would be like, you know, in the peat of the night next to a Marx Brothers movie, you know, it had made no sense. And (laughs) we had like a black and white television and I watched them having no idea that I was watching something important or that books had been written about them. I just liked them. Also I think because we had a black and white television, I just have no, you know, I hear some maybe younger people, but a lot of people, not just younger say, Oh, it's a black and white movie. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't understand that attitude. Like every, I saw everything black and white. Yeah. um, So, you know, uh, so that, The sort of love of film, there were a couple of moments early on where I realized that film was a thing that people made, you know, there were human beings who were making choices um, and that happened pretty early. I've written about this before, but I was like 12 slash 13. Those were the big years and I was babysitting. So I was more unmonitored and I was up at night mm-hmm. with babysitting jobs. And so I saw dog day afternoon and East of Eden. And in my memory, they happened within the same year and mm-hmm. blew me away. I'd never seen anything like it before. They both are, were too old for what, you know, dog day after head kind of went over my head, but it didn't matter. I just yeah. felt okay. It was like the first time where I thought I need to know about the people who made these movies. It was like a consciousness that it wasn't just the story that I was imbibing, but the artistry of the people involved, Um, which then just began me on the journey to see everything James Dean makes, you know, and Al Pacino oh, yeah. sort of followed, yes. I followed the actors, but I followed the directors too, so Kazan was a big one to sort of open yeah. open the door to acting. And also I have a lot of actors in my family and it always mm-hmm. just never seemed like this pie in the sky. It always just seemed like a job that people did. It didn't oh, have much okay. magic Good. to it. It was like, you know, we would go see her in shows and my aunt in shows and many of us went into it ourselves. Um, so, you know, the writing part of it didn't come until much later, mm-hmm. uh, but it's been fun to write about. It's just another aspect of love of the art form.
0: It you know? really is. Yeah, and you do it so well. I've read Thank you. so many of your pieces. Um, when you were talking about Dog Day, I remembered some of the Lumet pieces that you wrote, which are phenomenal. So yeah, I, I love that you share your passion for it and makes these films really come alive for a new generation. You have a, an ability to bring history and make it so immediate
1: and i mm-hmm. think that's
0: a real gap. Yeah. I
1: think i you know i did not i'm not i didn't go to school uh for any of this. I went to acting school. So my sort of i don't know. I don't know. I i think a lot of you, you can come at this from many different ways and i've yeah. learned so much from people who actually went to film school. I mean, you know, there are always going to be gaps in Everyone has everyone, yeah. You know, like I learned so much from people who are really about, you know, cinematography or historians, and mm-hmm. um, so I've had to kind of piece it together, piece together yeah. my education and um, address gaps. Like over the years, I was like, "Oh, okay, French New Wave. I don't, I don't know what that is." Now I must, <laughs> yeah, you know, educate myself. It's always so fun to do that. It really is. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I love about this podcast because it's like I'm taking a different survey course every couple weeks. Right, yeah. Right. And I feel like I'm in a film club every week with whoever my guest is, and it was so much fun. Yeah.
1: Right, right.
0: Since you're extremely knowledgeable about classic film, I was particularly psyched when you suggested pre-code movies as the theme you wanted to discuss, that brief period in Hollywood filmmaking. We're talking about the time between the widespread shift from silent to sound or talking pictures in 1929 and the widespread enforcement of 1930s motion picture production or Hays Code censorship guidelines midway into 1934. The films we'll be delving into today were made in this Wild West free-for-all era where the films and society was rapidly changing, and the rules or workarounds seemed to differ from studio to studio, just as the censors did from state to state. With studio heads finding different meaning in the code's words and or just ignoring it outright to test the limits, after the stock market crash, currently in the midst of prohibition and at the start of the Great Depression, Hollywood used sex, drugs, sin, and violence to get people back to the theaters buying tickets. We will go into the movies in greater detail in just a moment, including The Public Enemy from 1931, Scarface from 1932, Three on a Match, also from 32, as well as 1933's Babyface and Design for Living. And I'm sure we'll talk about others along the way, so there might be some spoilers, people listening. But before we do that, I would love to know your thoughts on pre-code filmmaking in Hollywood and why, of course, it remains so amazingly entertaining.
1: Um, let's see. I I'm sort of uh, late to the awareness of of all of this. You know, Me too. I mean, I would say my f- favorite era of filmmaking is um, postcode. It would be the '30s in, into the early '40s. You know, that's sort of what you would yeah. call the golden age. So the production code, they had been trying different aspects of you know, locking down what motion yeah. <laughs> pictures were allowed to do. Um, and so that sort of brief, once sound came in and then really the strict enforcement, um, the strict code, the 1934 version of yeah. it, it became the law of the land, there was this interim period um, now I had seen Scarface, um, public enemy cause I had gone on a Cagney rant, you know, rave a, a long while back. Um, so I had seen the films, but I just t- didn't really put them into context. They felt very, um, I mean, they're very contemporary and they barely yeah. date because they're, I mean, they date in some ways and we can get into that when we talk about them because, uh, many of them, especially, um, well, Three on a Match, uh, Scarface, and Public Enemy have a ripped from the headlines yes. feeling. same way that, you know, films, not, I mean, Sidney Lumet also would, his yeah. films often felt like they were just taken from real life. Mm-hmm. Something that happened yesterday is now. Um, so you get a great history of the period of prohibition of all that stuff. But despite that, I felt, wow, this is like... This is really, you know, I was like, what is this? So I just started my own, again, little school about this. What's been exciting in the last, I would say, 15, 20 years is that, for example, Babyface, which we'll be discussing, um, was heavily censored, one of the most controversial mm-hmm. films of the time. Um, it was cut and to pieces and there were c- scenes that were dubbed over. And in 2004 it was discovered, you know, the yeah. unsensitive version was discovered. That was when I really was like, okay, I, this is like a, a deep pool and now I need to see as many of these films. And I love the actors of that period too. Me you know, too. Like, yes. Kate Francis and Joan Blondell and um, Jean Harlow. And they're just all so unique and so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and Borak will discuss for her as well. So. That was a long rambling answer sorry it's 900 degrees but oh you're <laughs> fine you know so I, I guess it's again I, I still have a lot to learn about it but I'm fascinated by this by this period and then how this shift occurred um
0: yeah in the
1: from the mid you know the mid-30s on yeah um, and why this shift occurred
0: you know absolutely You're absolutely right. These movies do feel modern. And I did come to them like far later. Uh, I loved classic movies, especially like the 40s, exactly what you were saying, film noir. The James Dean movies, I think, were another gateway in and the Alfred Hitchcock. But yeah, when I finally started to see some of the uh, pre-code titles, it totally blows your hair back as they say. You're like, what did they do? Yes. It's amazing how modern these are. Yeah. yeah
1: and the thing about it is is that you know yes it's um you know it's sexually explicit it's mm-hmm. you know, there can be violence um and you know exploitation there's all those elements in it but the thing that i really treasure about them is um and i don't want to say that the films Postcode did not do this. Cause that's a thing that I hear sometimes like, well, pre-code, they were able to do this. And postcode, no, that we we still got the series messages. We still got um, you know, double entendres and all yeah. of those things. But the especially let's just say about these films that we're talking about today. Um they're just very frank. I mean, that's the word. Yes, that's the good word for it. Yeah. Very frank. It's not, there are titillating, you know, like Betty Davis is like happening to be half naked during a scene. You know, it's those kinds of um, things uh, are are definitely present, but um, the total lack of euphemism in, in these films is what really, Uh, I think would be a revelation for people who may have an idea that Mm -hmm. it was all prissy pants, not saying what we mean back in the day. Oh no, please. You know, these are very, um, and they're not, I would not say they were like, you know, obviously immoral, but there's an amorality to it. um, Not placing too much judgment on what we're seeing. And Mm -hmm. that's really what the powers that be, the Will Hayes people, the, you know, the people who were enforcing the code were really disturbed by it, was that we need to judge the bad people. We need the bad woman to realize she's bad and then repent. And there really, there isn't a lot of that. It's people have to make tough choices. People do what they have to do to survive. Yes. Exists, um, I don't know. So that the Frank quality of these films puts them in a very unique unique category um, yeah
0: do you happen to remember the first pre-code movie you remember seeing i was trying to think while i was um preparing for this i, I mean i it, saw yeah i'm sorry go ahead oh no i was just gonna say i think for me it was tcm this was probably like 20 years ago did uh like a night of norma Shear and i watched Ooh. like a free soul and the divorcee and yeah i just re- yeah. yeah remember thinking because you I've seen Norma Shearer and other movies and these, this era really showed us different sides of these women that we thought we knew postcode. And so it was kind of cool to yeah. see Norma in, in her element, yeah, you know, you playing a her, seductress. Her women, yes, And the women, she's just kind of the, yeah.
1: you know, the romantic, yes. and free soul. She's just, she's out there, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, she's <you're>, free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I mean I saw like the I have seen all of the musicals when I was a kid uh, yeah uh, gold diggers and footlight parade and um I know those movies really really well I just love them so I still love them so much mm-hmm. um so though, I had no idea they were pre-code but you know there's like shots of all these g- girls going from theater to theater and they're changing on the bus and you see this yes you know <laughs> In the park, yeah, in the park, man, that's wild. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I just wrote a piece about that movie. Oh, did you? I'm gonna have Um, to look for that and link it. Yeah, it's I compare it to Sucker Punch. So, before I before anyone loses me, um, (laughs) yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities to what those movies are doing, but um, cool, yeah, so so those films I was very familiar with I just had no idea that they were known as like pre-code um yeah me Cagney either. I had seen all of as much as I could like Angels with Dirty Faces I and, know and stuff because I love him so mm-hmm. um too. but now it's like you know you start to read you you, you have certain films that you have to see because you know oh this is this is the next one on the list and I haven't seen that one. And sometimes they're a little bit hard to find. Um, it's getting a little bit easier. There's a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, exactly.
0: YouTube, YouTube has um, been a gold mine for some of these. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they're, they're not very good. And now I'm not going to remember the name of the one that I recently saw It was Joel McCrae. And it's basically about this and he's so hot. It's young Joel McRae. And he marries. He's a hardworking guy, and he <laughs> marries kind of flighty daughter of his rich industrialist boss. And the daughter Ooh. is like, "Well, you don't have to, you don't have to work anymore." He's basically. I think it might be called "kept husbands." Oh, so interesting.
0: She, okay, I'm gonna yeah. have to look for that. And so it has.
1: It's a weird. It's in the middle of. It's basically saying to women, "Don't emasculate your husband." There is definitely that. Like, let your oh, man okay, sure. make his own money, be his own man, because she really is like you know, <laughs> let him be. Um, but it's also kind of, again, very frank about this subject. Um, mm-hmm. and she, anyway, it's so, and it's very poor quality, uh, but it's on YouTube. So there's all kinds of gems out there that where you see, Oh, this was a pretty, there was a lot
0: going on. Wow. <laughs> you know (laughs) i'm gonna have to look for that well after the box office success of the edward g robinson gangster picture little caesar the studios knew there was money to be made in crime movies so in 1931 zanuck followed suit with william a wellman's the public enemy starring the great james cagney Using the logic that, as in Little Caesar, they were commenting on the violent realities of the time period with Al Capone and the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which dominated headlines, the studios figured they could get around censors because they were proving that crime does not pay when their characters met their violent fates at the end. It was worth the risk. Not only did the public enemies surpass the ticket sales of Little Caesar, making Hayes look foolish for assuming audiences were growing tired of crime films, but even Irving G. Thalberg was stunned. Invited by Zanuck to the preview of the film about an Irish kid who rises along with his friends up the ranks of a mob, Thalberg said, "'That's not a motion picture. It's beyond a motion picture.'" Based upon an unpublished novel, Fear and Blood, by two former Chicago newspapermen, John Bright and Kubik Glassman, all too familiar with the violence of prohibition, this entertaining underworld tale co-star Jean Harlow, Edward Woods, Donald Cook, Joan Blondell, one of my favorites, and of course, Mae Clark, who memorably finds herself with a face full of grapefruit from Cagney promised by director wellman that he would bring zanuck the toughest most violent picture you ever did see that he did but this one is perhaps today most famous for Cagney. so what are your thoughts on the public enemy
1: um yeah i mean re-watching it is it's always so much fun i mean yeah one yeah. of the things that really struck me watching it this past time is how it really um if you look at it from sort of maybe even an academic or historian point of view, understanding that it's fiction, um, it's really just lays out how organized crime really took it, it to the does. next level from
0: mm-hmm. Prohibition.
1: It really it bridges that gap. It's like these two street street punks um, who are just doing little petty yeah. crime stuff. They might have eventually grown out of it, but then Prohibition comes down. And then suddenly, there—it's big business. And yeah. Um, so, and there are other films that we're going to talk about. I think there's the three of them: Scarface and um, Three on a Match. That really yeah. walk you through a many. Uh, these are not long movies either; <laughs> they're no. pretty short. You get in, get out. Um, so that is is really interesting, and you also can just see. I mean, it, it, this is not. Revelation. I'm not the first person to say that, <laughs> right? But this movie is imitated so much. Like when you is yes. Movie, there's the scene. I'm pretty sure there's two scene. Wait, let me look at my notes. There's a scene um, in. Yes. In, I think it's in Scarface and in this one where the big shot gangster comes into a nightclub and the maitre d' just sweeps him up to the front, Yes, uh, you know, and like move that table out of the way. Let's get Mr. Big shot here, which I mean, obviously, you know, um, so there's so many, so many examples of stuff like that. Um, in this, in this film, uh, William Wellman is a great pre-code director. Yes. He's a great director anyway. But his his films um, are really, really tough-minded, uh, uncompromising, uh, really rough. Um, Heroes for Sale, I just want to put that one out there. That's one of my favorites. Okay. Um, I don't know that one. Oh, it's, it's as angry as it gets. I mean, it's Ooh. really a... Um, it's like um, the final number in uh, Gold Diggers of nineteen thirty-three, where she's saying, oh. "That's the whole movie. It's about yeah. a guy who is a hero. He's a hero. He's a war hero from World War One. He comes back completely shattered by PTSD and addicted to morphine, and he oh, becomes yeah. homeless. He becomes homeless. It's now the depression, and oh, he can't. Yeah. And so it's the breadlines are filled with war hero. I mean, I. It's so and the." like at one point, and it's Richard Barthelmus, who is, um, you know, very Mm -hmm. big silent star. And then um, he uh, gives an incredible performance. And there's like literally lines where he says, um, uh, he says a line, uh, America is no more. You know, that like really bitter. um, Yeah, that could have been super contemporary. Yeah, absolutely. Like the way we treat veterans is uh, just great. so anyway, so William Wellman, a lot of his uh, other men's women is another one with James Cagney and Joan Blondell, like the two of them okay. did some of the movies together. I know, anyway, I yeah. love Smart Blonde. Was that the name know, of the? Other I one? Yeah, well, I broke down something. Um, uh,
0: yeah, Blonde Crazy. Oh, Blonde Crazy. Thank you. Where they're <laughs> two like
1: con artists, basically, you know, Yeah. fun. Um, Anyway, William Wellman has just had a very kind of rough, tough uh, yes. attitude, a real realist, and you can really feel that in uh, *Public Enemy*. I think it's just not sentimental. You cannot find a, a sentimental moment in this film. Even the like the brother goes off to war.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, who played the brother? Donald Cook, who was also in Babyface. I'm just looking at that. He played the yeah. guy who, like roped in. And so he's the brother who's like, why are you, you're a criminal. Why are you being, you know, and then goes off to war and he doesn't come home. He comes home maimed and mm-hmm. you, he's clearly not well. So there isn't a triumphal. It's very, very no. subversive when you think of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, that you didn't get this in World War II films. you got a, I I mean that's an exaggeration. Um, The best years of our lives being the most obvious example
0: about the challenges
1: of uh, veterans coming home, but that's the exception rather than the rule. And something like Heroes for Sale and the brother in Public Enemy is, um, you know, it's urgent social matter Mm -hmm. Um, kind of embedded in this kind of gangster movie is this brother and a commentary on the war. Like everyone's so excited, he's coming home and there's all these flowers and he's just sitting there. Thinking about, yeah. Devastated about what he has been through. Um, Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's many different thoughts. Let me look at my notes if there's anything else. How about you? What are your thoughts?
0: You know, one thing I love about this and also Scarface is, and it kind of goes when you were talking about World War One. A lot of these movies showing you the ranks of the mob, it kind of works like uh, the military. Basically, you have your foot soldiers, and then you go up the ranks. And one thing I really like in The Public Enemy is it focuses on like chosen family and also real family. So he's having issues with his brother, who's like, why are you a criminal to James Cagney? And then his best friend, and I'm blanking on the guy that, uh, the actor who played his best friend, who he grew up with. We grew up up
1: with, yes. um, uh, uh, Edward Woods. Edward Woods. Matt Doyle, that's the best friend is Matt Doyle, yes. Okay,
0: yes. Matt Doyle, um, the guy that he grows up with is maybe closer uh, as a brother. But the other thing I love about this one is the end is like a straight up horror movie. Like there is, I mean, you're watching this and you're thinking, boy, he he can get everything he wants and all of this stuff. And so it is kind of walking that fine line of glamorizing violence and not. Then by the end yeah. of it, it is the most shocking, like of all the endings of the movies we're talking about. Okay, three out of match too. <laughs> but the ending right. of... Uh, this one oh my goodness like it stays with you yeah Yeah, the one thing I really remembered besides the grapefruit of course the grapefruit right yes and the
1: the women who come into this world yeah um and you know because it's interesting like Joan Bondell really doesn't have that much to do in this Mm -hmm. um she plays a much larger role in uh blonde in other ones in other men's women um she's fantastic in that one. If you ever get a chance to see that one, that's cagney okay. and her. Um, and Mae Clark are just, you know, it's so obvious what is going on in those hotel rooms that they're it's yeah. not even again euphemistic. You can hear like the sex going on in the other room and like no <laughs> yeah, it's boundaries. Pretty crazy. And no, you know. Um but about that grapefruit scene, which I think, yes, is probably the most famous. Um there's some funny there's some funny anecdotes about, like apparently her husband joked that he would buy a ticket and just go in to see that scene. Oh,
0: her ex, yeah, that was in uh, Who the Hell's in It in the Bogdanovich book. Right, he talks about that. Yeah, right, crazy. And what was the other Cagney? Um,
1: the idea that it was, that it was complete. She knew it was going yeah. to, you know, it's, she's a good actress. And so her re- response was a good actor response, not just like, oh, anyway. Um, but that moment, um, even though, you know, it's coming, even though you've seen it a bunch it's of shocking. times and yeah. it's been turned into a theme, the look on his face and his tone comes out. It, he is yeah. so filled with disgust. It's so, for me, that's the most violent moment in the it movie. Is. And it it's is a very so violent shocking. movie, but yeah. it is shocking. Mm-hmm. And it's how deep he goes
0: mm-hmm.
1: into it, which I'm sure for him, it was like, oh, I know what this moment is and I will do it. But he wasn't preparing to do it for five hours beforehand. He's gifted. But mm-hmm. it just is... Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where are you, are we on his side? The movie doesn't seem to care either way. No, I mean, it I, really doesn't.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. he's
1: so compelling that it's hard not to be on his side, you know, um, mm-hmm. but it's really not what the movie's about. It's not no. about, um, it's not, I don't know. It's not concerned with that. It's concerned yeah. with telling the story. The it other is. thing, maybe I don't know. This may be just. I was really struck also this last time with the view of child abuse in the opening sec- yeah. section,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: how um, it, it's kind of not. It's not brushed over. It's like he has to go, and he's, his father is clearly going to whip him, and he's this, which is was at the time oh, was the belt was more reminded me of Goodfellas. Yeah. You know, but, you know, obviously, there were different mores for different times. So I'm not saying yeah. that. But the fact that it was there feels to me like it's making some kind of connection. Insurance.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: that this kid, First of all, so that's his dad. There's a couple ways you could take it. That's his dad. Okay, so that's nobody that we want to mm-hmm. be close to. He's a bad no. person. And so, of course, he's going to find this chosen family yeah. in the, whatever his name is. Of course, he's Irish. I don't take it personally. Whatever the Irish guy <laughs> who's like. I
0: know, I'm a part Italian. I don't take <laughs> all that. <laughs> yeah. you, know, um, you know,
1: the one who kind of takes them in under his criminal wing. It makes sense that you would yes. find a, a mentor family. and yeah, uh, yeah.
0: father figure.
1: Yeah, but that really, that that kind of struck me that they would um, be that frank about it. Mm-hmm. Again,
0: yeah. I think Cagney is underrated too with what he does. His famous line about uh, "look in the other actor's camera eye and tell the truth," but I think he he doesn't get enough respect for just what he brought to all of these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's
1: he's um he's brilliant. I mean, I think he's brilliant on this on a, on like the classical
0: like yeah. the
1: that word. Like he was just. Um, so gifted, such a gifted dancer. Um oh my goodness, his, yes. The use of his body, like I've written a lot of pieces about that, you know. That I feel like his he is my favorite death scene in film, which is in the Roaring Twenties. I think that's another pre-code again with is Joan Blondell in on that one. Roaring 20s, if you haven't seen it,
0: no. so good. That's okay, another okay. one that's
1: like ripped from the headlines. Humphrey Bogart's in a small part, you know, he hasn't hit yet. Um I'm going to but, write all these down later, like listening. Spoiler, and, yes. but you know, you all can, are grown up. We're listening. Yeah. Um, this happened Cagney, so many decades ago, people. Yeah. I know. Catch up. Um, so Cagney is like running down the snowy sidewalk and he gets shot, I think in the back or the side and he keeps running with the. Oh, I do remember that scene. Yes. upstairs. stairs. I might and have seen falls this. Back down. It's one of the most stunning. It's all one, one take. Yes. And that is his genius of of how his body moves through space. I don't know. It's not everybody can do it. White heat is another one where top of the
0: world, Ma. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that his mother has died, and he's such yes. a boy, you know criminal as Mama's boy, and he gets the word in the prison. And um, oh my it, god, yeah, it starts. Do you remember the scene?
0: Mm-hmm. And it
1: starts. And then it goes to the next level and then it goes to the next level. And he has to be like dragged out of this cafeteria. I know. He is just, yes. His body, like the people are really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's the greatest. He's the greatest. Yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. He probably did, you know, he worked too much but that was the way it
0: goes you made yeah 10 movies a year more I know yeah Warner Brothers was making 50 a year during pre code. So that's crazy yeah yeah no absolutely yeah. I did a poll on Twitter um asking uh with Paul Muni Edward G. Robinson and Cagney who's your favorite uh pre-code gangster and Cagney won in a yeah second yeah it was a, yeah it was pretty much yeah. over as soon over. as it started Yeah. yeah. Well, our next film is another gangster picture, but it's honestly the granddaddy of them all, taking violence much further than Little Caesar or even the public enemy. 1931 Scarface was pitched to screenwriter Ben Hecht by director Howard Hawks on behalf of eccentric millionaire producer Howard Hughes as the Borgias in then contemporary Chicago filling the cast with new discoveries including Paul Muni as Tony Camonte or the Caesar Borgia character. They found George Raft at a prize fight, got Anne Dvorak out of her contract as a $40 a week MGM chorus girl, saw Osgood Perkins in a play, Karen Morley was a friend's date, and Boris Karloff was game because he had just been in Hawks' The Criminal Code and thought that the director was good for him. With its now iconic genre flourishes like Raft flipping a coin, the X marks a spot, Easter eggs where X's are planted in scenes where someone's going to wind up dead, and Paul Muni's Whistling Killer. It's a brilliant film that even critics of the time called a masterpiece. While of course, most viewers today are more familiar with Brian De Palma's remake starring Al Pacino, this one is well worth seeking out and still inspires directors to this day, including Martin Scorsese. Who paid homage to the X motif in *The Departed*? This one is notorious for the way it set off the censors, resulting in a separately shot added morality clause and/or a different ending for Muni, depending on where or which version of the film you saw. So, what's your take on *Scarface*, *Hawks*, and *Muni*? Of course.
1: Um. Yeah. So I, this movie—it's really what's so interesting about it, which is similar to the public enemy is it is imitated so much. Okay, So yeah. you can go, Oh, oh, they've stolen this. They've taken, not stolen. They're inspired by this. They're inspired by that. Um, it's almost like, I don't know, looking at something that has inspired so many other things. I want to mm-hmm. get those out of the way, the echoes out of the way. So I can see this. True. Yeah. These scarface like, out oh, there. Yes. Um, and once I. It's a very weird movie. I mean, it you know, is. it is a very weird movie. Yeah. Um, and again, you kind of get in, get out. They do not belabor these films. they like, at all. you know, um, the the you know, Hawks' idea to. Have it be basically the Borges in Chicago with this in, incestuous mm-hmm. relationship between the brother and sister.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: again, it's really not even euphemism. She says it. She says you're not acting like a boyfriend. You're not acting mm-hmm. like a brother. Yeah. You're acting like a. And then she leaves it. I mean, come on. Yeah, because they couldn't. It. Yes, but you know. Um, but you know, <laughs> you know what it is. Um, Absolutely. And. And so, so, so there's that aspect of it that sort of adds this very strange vibe to it, like his love affair with the other woman just is always tempered by this family dynamic, um, beautifully played by both of them, by Anne Dvorak and Muni, um, just just going for it you know they had to know it's not like they're sneaking this in under the radar like it's clear and it would definitely Yeah. the sensor's Very like ex- no, yeah. no 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 <laughs> um but yeah so that that aspect of it and just the way hawks filmed it you can tell he's having so much fun with all those x's
0: i know, and, you know yeah
1: the sort of the way the light comes in and makes an x on the guy's
0: chest and um, or feels, the doorbell outside of was it Raft's? Uh, yeah, that that scene. Oh my gosh! Yes, right, yeah. right. And
1: and just the uh, it is. I mean, it's incredibly violent as well. It so is have, like There's gunfire from and start it's to finish. <laughs> it's almost like the you know the montage in Goodfellas where you see the um yeah. you know the Robert De Niro kind of going after everybody like we're gonna see this we're gonna you know
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we have. Car after car after car just careening down these streets and explode. It's just, um, yeah, crazy. Yeah, Yeah. and at the time, so people like John Dillinger were in the news at the time. Yep, in the news, and so the concern of we don't want to glamorize. We don't want to glamorize. Meanwhile, though, because John Dillinger was a glamorous figure. To yeah you know, seen as this um you know he he didn't steal rich pe- you know he was stealing rich people's money he wasn't yes like, you know that sort of uh more vibe. Yeah. yeah yeah um but so that aspect of it was what was very very difficult for them to deal with with the censors because it was i know You know, they had to add stuff. They had to, the way that he died, you know, I think the, the, um,
0: oh, yeah, the fake hanging that was shot in after. Right. Even though he was was killed
1: by the police, but they wanted, you know, the the sentence wanted it to be that he's captured, then the law takes care of him. And so now we, the country, the state, all good people can feel rest assured that we will, you know, be able to handle. But, you know, Hawks was like, I, I mean, he didn't shoot those. They made him shoot this alternate thing. They made him shoot. I think there's a, um, a moment where someone's like, This cannot be tolerated in any good society. I'm sorry, I'm not you know, and it was like they had no. to add these things in Oh yeah,
0: that was I think at the beginning or something too, or maybe yes. yeah, it was so strange. This
1: is an urgent problem and we need, you know it's
0: someone. all of our responsibilities,
1: something like that. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, then you come into this. I don't know if I would say that Scarface shows a glamorous world. Um No,
0: not at all. Mm-mm.
1: Yeah, I think it's just more honest. Again, that word like it's just more frank about why people like well, what's going on and what yeah um, is the appeal to someone like that character. You know, he's not yeah. um, Cagney in Public Enemy. It's a different dynamic. It's a very yeah. different is
0: yeah he isn't just over the top and no it's ominous it's haunting you know his downfall is coming like long before I mean you figure for Cagney but like this one almost just the whistling in the dark it's like again horror movie like you just know this is not gonna end well no but what you were saying about like Dillinger and the era I've talked about it on my podcast before, but um, growing up in Minneapolis and St. Paul, of course, um, there was a really good book written about um, all the gangsters that would come through for the bootlegging era. And it was called John Dillinger Slept Here. And I grew up like reading this book cover to cover. But I remember my grandpa telling me about being in the Great Depression and actually seeing a gangland hit go down uh, in the streets of St. Paul when he was just a little boy. And I mean, it shocked him and he would, he just sort of said it casually. And he's like, no, it bothered me for years. I had nightmares about it, but it's wow. just like, I can't even imagine that era. And so when I watched Scarface or there's a scene in public enemy too. And I think in little Caesar, which I watched again, uh, where like a kid or somebody's walking by and just like, that could have been my grandpa. These yeah. movies kind of had men, um, showing their downfall with violence, whereas the women it was sex. That always kind of yeah got right. them in the end. Right. You're gonna yes. end up in a, you know,
1: hotel room and they're yeah. like,
0: oh. <laughs> writing uh, and lipstick, yes.
1: Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> That's um oh, yeah. God. So I uh, I think it was so um I think it took about a year for it to even come out because they had to go back and forth with all of these reshoots and um you know, by that, yeah. that, by that point, you know, I don't know, it, it's, it's since been restored and you can see the way the original ending, which is again, pretty
0: shocking. It is. Um, I think it's much more jarring than the tacked on thing. Yes.
1: <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, this, this 20 year old actress who we'll get to again in three on a match, yes. one the
0: of my of favorite, and
1: mm-hmm. Who who was born Anna McKim. So can you imagine changing your name from that to like, who does that? Like it just, <laughs> it's more difficult for, um, yeah, that says
0: something about who she was.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I you know, you, have to learn more about her. I, when I was yeah, watching I, these I, this time, I was like, wow, I'm just taken in by her. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Imogen Smith wrote a really good piece about her. I can forward it to you. Um, okay, cool. And, uh, you know, so her career was, I mean, she's 20 years old in this. She's That's incredible. She's, yeah. oh, she was a dancer, which you can tell in Scarface in the couple scenes where she, the scene in the nightclub where she's showing off that incredible dress um, yeah. with the X on the back. Um, and, you know, she, I can't remember how, I think Howard Hughes had seen her and put her under his own contract as he was taught to do and the way Hawks was casting this it does sound very like well we saw Paul Muni in a a play play. it was like the Yiddish art theater you know yeah I was was
0: gonna say it was like a Jewish theater
1: company or something yeah yeah, which is so many amazing people came out of that I remember in Lee Strasberg's book about forming the actor's studio or not really but just about his own childhood and life called a dream of passion he writes about seeing paul muni um wow being absolutely bowled over so that had to be early 1900s or something you know Um, and or maybe the teens i don't know and i just don't have the book here i was looking for the passage because he just was one of the greatest performances i'd ever seen i was a kid and i realized oh that's what good acting is one of those moments
0: oh wow Um,
1: so the He's other. So good. Man, yeah. So good. And I don't know if you've seen I Am a Fugitive from a. Yes. Movie. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he
0: was incredible in that.
1: Talk about the yeah. final scene. I mean, oh that my God. A yeah. Moment. A surreal moment. It's not realistic. It's, I don't know, a very, very bold uh, performance. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was very successful. Um, And uh, word on the street is that he had—he was basically the inspiration for um, what's his name in um, Golden Boy, the character in Golden Boy. Um, Oh, really? That's interesting. Slash violinist, and he was kind of torn between the two. And uh, Joe—that's the character's name. Um, So he was kind of in that whole crowd, you know, the sort of New York theater crowd. He had a very successful theater career, um, not as huge a film career as a theater career Um, but yeah he's so good he's so good in this
0: yeah absolutely well described in mark vieira's book forbidden hollywood as the quintessential warner's film of 1932 director mervyn LeRoy's movie crammed as Vieira wrote headlines history sociology sex alcohol drugs adultery kidnapping blackmail and suicide into 63 frantic minutes not a gangster picture this time, but a female-centric melodrama. The movie starred Joan Blondell and Anne Dvorak, also Betty Davis as three school classmates, obviously played by others when younger, uh, who years later happen upon one another in New York after taking three very different paths. Having found success as a showgirl after time spent in reform school, Mary is played by Blondell, Betty Davis is a hardworking stenographer, Ruth, and the married wealthy mother of a young son is Dvorak's Vivian, who is bored with her lot in life and finds adultery, drugs, and vice before long. The reviews of the film back then were frequently negative, The New York Times called it tedious, distasteful, and unintelligent. And the Pittsburgh Press called the story erratic. But it's gained in its esteem over the years, thanks to Leonard, Malton, and others. I think it's definitely chaotic, but I really like the pacing of the movie. It just burns through plot and the performances in this one, especially Dvorak. And I know you're a fan, so I'd love you to give us your perspective on Three on a Match.
1: Yeah. This, um, this, this movie, uh, you know, it, again, I would say that this is imita- imitated to death. It's like mystic pizza in 1932. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh,
0: that's a good way of putting it. I was thinking beaches, but mystic pizza, I like everything, that. Like, you know, you see the kids when they're little yeah, and then
1: you, you know, have a little segue and then you see the, you know, and it for, you know, so women, women yeah. friendships, it's, you know, it's obviously uh a very popular very popular catnip for that stories right (laughs) um so we have yeah and it is so short i mean it's a tiny bit over an hour yeah they are you know jamming quite a bit in Mm -hmm. into it it's unbelievable yeah (laughs) like a kidnapping which is um crazy but what I find so interesting, there's a couple of interesting what I would say commentaries on on going on here. And I don't know if this was conscious. They may have been just been trying to get something out there that get people to pay money and see it. They're not putting <laughs> too thought into it. but so we have the three girls. We have Mary, who is played by Joan Blundell as the older one, you know, the older version of the character who was, You Know wild as a child, we see her as a child literally charging boys to show them her underwear. I mean, I
0: know it was like wow,
1: (laughs) like you know, smoking. She's you know, swinging on the swings and showing her underwear to boys, Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And you already can, she's wild, okay? Yeah, the other two friends are Vivian, who is sort of the rich, kind of she's got it all together woman, yeah.
0: On the, have, yeah. <laughs> on the surface yeah
1: and then we have Ruth who is the real smart one and she's yeah. going to actually make make something of her life cut 2 we're not surprised that Mary ends up going to reform school and having mm-hmm. to i mean she's basically locked up until she's however yeah. old She's 20 or something and Ruth is now you know in business school, she's doing really well, and Vivian has married a millionaire played by pre code king, uh, Warren William, who is has kind of a boring, boring part in this, but you should seek out his other stuff because he's
0: yeah, he was always kind of the seductive or the, the bedroom-eyed, yeah
1: yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and but Vivian goes off the rails like overnight, like or, she does. It's like, what what's yeah, the deal she, with Vivian? Yeah, yeah like. She, she is clearly, um, like, maybe she was manic or something. Book, but, yeah, something was something is there. And it's yeah. um, that when she says she, they, so the girls meet up. The girls meet up again by chance, and they all mm-hmm. go out. And Vivian is saying stuff. She has a great speech. Well, not speech, but just a couple lines where she's saying, I don't know. I have the things that make other people happy. I just, I'm not happy. I don't know. It just doesn't.
0: Yeah, like, it was so yeah, honest yeah. and like not something you would hear in movies where the goal is to get married and have kids. Yeah, she's
1: got it and she doesn't want it, mm-hmm. and we never really know why, which mm-hmm. I find very intriguing. I like that a lot. Yeah,
0: she, you don't need all she, the answers
1: for that character. Um, and then she decides, okay, well, I'm or her husband basically allows her to go to Europe and. Um, with the child that they have together, so she can get her head together, but she meets this playboy before the ship even sails. I know. yeah, and, and <laughs> off the boat and lives in this hotel and becomes addicted to cocaine and everything else. And it's yeah. shocking, but it's also like you know, this is how it goes. This yeah. is you, 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 you know, meet this, the wrong man, and yeah, or or you meet someone at a time when you're feeling a certain Vulnerable. way. Yeah. Listen, I watch intervention. Okay. You know, you meet someone at the wrong time and they give you a drug that makes you feel like yeah. oh, everything's going to be okay. And I'm awesome and it's okay. And it's not, it's not okay. Um, mm-hmm. So that, anyway, that um, is basically the overview of what the, all of the different issues. Ruth, who is the betty davis is now betty davis's ruth this is sort of the least interesting part
0: yeah um, she didn't really get much but i mean they're burning through enough story oh, I mean, about, yeah. yeah it's really <laughs>
1: about um once the child once vivian and her child disappear as Oof. you know they yeah. vanish then be- there's a basically manhunt for them there's mm-hmm. you know the husband puts out like you know, all points bulletin. You know, we have to find my wife and child. And Mary, who's Joan Blondell, gets involved because she knows where Vivian's hiding out. And she's basically pleading, fine, you want to go off the rails? Go off the rails. Give me the kid. He's yes. dirty in the bathtub. There's crazy people doing strip teases on the tables. I mean, it's insane the stuff yeah. that's going on in that <laughs> hotel with that poor child. I know. Um, so,
0: Anyway, basically, a, yeah, it's like yeah. requiem for a dream or something,
1: but yeah, yeah nineteen thirty-two yeah. for yeah.
0: sure.
1: And this would not work without Anne Torek's performance. Oh no oh. way! Oh my, it's one of my favorites. I mean, it's up there for me. It's, um, and again, how old is she? Twenty-one at this point? Yeah,
0: Was she only. Oh my gosh! Yeah, because she started so self-assured at that age already. Yeah, so not caring about mm-hmm. being liked or being... for vanity. There's no vanity None in this performance. None of it. No. Um,
1: you know, it's very easy to judge that woman. Of course. It's, yeah. Made horrible choices, but I don't know. It's the kind of acting that I love. It's the kind of acting that I love, which is really like, you know what? I'm not here to present my re- my character's reasons for doing what she does. No here to show you this person that I understand really well and what how you feel about it is up to you. It's yeah. very, very um you don't see a lot of that. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. Especially with young actresses. Young actresses, it's being likable.
0: I mean it's Yeah, being sexy likable, the new it's it girl, but no.
1: She's just letting
0: it all hang out. And I think what you were saying is so true. Like, you can meet the wrong person or get exposed to the wrong experience at the wrong time. And that's why this movie still feels really timely. Because, I mean, there's the old adage of, like, my friend got a new boyfriend and I completely lost my friend. Yeah. And uh, this just takes it to the extreme. And of course you get um, Humphrey Bogart in like a bit part when he shoves her. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so young and handsome and kind of just shows that early on they were going to make him the heavy right away.
1: Right, right. And there's a moment where she's, she's doing this very like Sharon. Oh yeah, with With the cocaine. Yeah. And he mocks her. And it's so, it's just, that's. I know it's chilling. It's yeah. chilling because they are ready to you they're clearly going to kill the child and yes you know, they're now a liability. Um they aren't it's yeah it's very good in all of those guys that Warner Brothers what Warner Brothers was so good at you know it was a, a not a very rich studio they just had a stable of people who looked like they had rolled off Yes, lower east side, like you know, yeah. like actors playing gangsters, they look like you know, and they yeah. would <laughs> again, and again and again. I know, um, so that it really feels very gritty
0: that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, a, well, it's a tough one, it's a yeah. tough one. Yeah. kind of that old thing I think it was in Sunset Boulevard was it we had faces then or just that yeah. line yeah. about that and yeah these are faces or people that you know you would see them and think he might have worked for Capone we don't know like he right. just he has that look and that menace yeah. and I think Joan Blondell's really good in this too because um she's usually just so sassy or sexy and I mean she kind of Starts out, you can buy her as a showgirl very easily, but she winds up being the one who um, knows what she wants and sticks to it. She's not in an existential crisis. Like she, maybe because of that early life, growing up fast, by then she already knows, I don't want that and I want um, more stability. So I thought that was nice for her. It was against type a little. Yes. I
1: also was thinking that maybe... Maybe, maybe her, she's the type of person, maybe because of how she grew up, that she can survive things that Vivian yes. can't. Yeah. So like being Sometimes. doing strip teases, burlesques, doesn't touch no. anything in her. It doesn't hurt her, which yeah. is true. It's like different something you're not, and not everyone is cut out for that kind of thing. No. And Vivian can't handle like one bit of exposure and she completely shatters and mm-hmm. Joan Pondell is like I don't know, she always seemed very like practical. Yeah. Okay. You know, life's tough.
0: You know, yeah. I'm gonna have to she had no qualms about that. It's kind of like um I did an episode recently on uh the three amigos and when we were talking about Amoris Paros, I was realizing, you know, it's the poor people who grew up there who have the ability to adapt and change on a dime because life is hard. Whereas when something bad happens to the rich people, they're like, Oh my God. Or they, they don't um, maybe see through people or question their motives, like a poor person or somebody who knows the angles a little more do. Yeah. I think not street smart. Yeah. Not street. Exactly. You're
1: vulnerable. Like, can you imagine Joan Blondell's character, meeting that guy by that guy, she'd be like, okay, maybe for a flank tonight, but bye-bye. I'm not getting (laughs) off this boat. No. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating movie. I hadn't seen it in years. So I was really glad you chose this one. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. And that final scene, you know, it's
1: um, let me see. I got a quote from Imogen. Imogen, Imogen Smith, who's a wonderful writer. Yes, she is. Yeah. Um, about Anne Borak, and she writes about this final scene, which actually I don't want to give it away. If, if okay, it's no, you're fine. It's a more of an obscure film, so if you see it, if you should definitely see it because the final scene is just oh my again, goodness, Yeah. it chills just thinking about it. Yeah, Im- Imogen wrote, you would never guess from this film that Betty Davis would wind up the best known of the three actresses, while Anne Borak would sink into obscurity.
0: Oh, that's perfect. That yeah. A,
1: She is that good. She's
0: haunting. She's haunting. And um, anyway, that's spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next up, we have, as Mark Vieira described, Daryl Zanuck's answer to Redheaded Woman with Gene Harlow in the form of his movie Babyface. Writing the treatment for the movie himself under the pseudonym of Mark Canfield, Zanuck sold it to Warner's for a dollar originally even more tawdry in its development as a story of a young woman exploited by her father the film centers on barbara stanwick's lily who's tired of being grabbed by drunk leering lascivious lustful men in her father's speakeasy tavern having grown up poor and fast as the town tramp after lily's father is killed in a still explosion the only man she trusts, a wise old cobbler, advises her to go to the big city and use her sex appeal for her own benefit. Telling her to exploit men's weakness by quoting Nietzsche to her, Lily just decides to, to heed his advice and brings her coworker and best friend, the African American Chico played by Teresa Harris, with her to New York. There, drawn to the Gotham Trust building, she uses sex to sleep her way to the top, one floor at a time, including a dalliance with a filing clerk played by John Wayne early on in his career, although George Brent is a, her eventual love interest. A very strange and still provocative film from director Alfred E. Green, this one caused quite the censorship battle with the Hayes office. So what's your take on Baby Face? Um, yeah. I mean, I can see why this
1: film, yeah, the like, weirdest. Yes. <laughs> why People are like, no, you can't do any of that. No. <laughs> um, but yeah. And it was really, uh, it was unreleasable basically, yeah. you know, um, as it, as it, as it was, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, um, yes, it's provo- very provocative. Um, and it's also in a way very wise about what happens when yeah. you are um you know she sold it's basically human trafficking i mean her father just sold her to i so, know she says you, you from the time i was 14 i mean stanwick forget it like her face of what has been done to this young woman in her short life is mm-hmm. horrific horrific she has been sold into slavery, sex slavery by her father. Yeah. So I don't see how um, the way she decides to survive that to me makes a lot of sense. Me makes a lot of sense, and um, the fact that it's Nietzsche that brings it about is one <laughs> of, the, kind of, of the The sort yeah. of close up of the binding of the book and how she's taking his words on it's very interesting I I think it might be on the wikipedia page sort of the um the cobbler's speech to her yes as it was written is nuts it's nuts. it really is and then the way it was edited it's just so obvious what they were Mm -hmm. trying to like don't go
0: too far yeah
1: yeah, you you know do this but know what you you know good girls don't do that but you know Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: the speech as it is is listen, you have this, go use it and don't let it touch you. You, you get get yours, you get yours. Um, -hmm. so, and she
0: does, and she's brutal. She is brutal. You know, I know men keep shooting themselves or threatening to shoot or almost shoot. My goodness. Yeah. (laughs) She leaves everyone in her wake. Yeah.
1: And she can't, you know, why would she, uh, you know her, obviously her opinion of men. Why, why would she have a good opinion of men? Why would she see no, that not at all, other than rapacious mm-hmm. rapers? You know, that's yeah. what no, knows, her father on down. Um, so but once it gets into the so it's it starts in this steel mill town and it's pretty brutal, you know,
0: yeah. And
1: she and her friend Chico, who are working in this. Easy. this is the wonderful teresa harris who is in, just an excellent she actress was so good yeah uh, she she she's in a couple of other movies i mean she had a a nice career but this is yeah. probably like her best and mm-hmm. it's interesting because um
0: she's the best friend she actually is yeah. the best
1: friend she's the best friend and she they run away together mm-hmm. um She's the maid, but I mean, she's the, ma- <laughs> I mean, there's one Kind of a name called, only. Like, yeah. Yeah. Name only, like, please stop it with the ma'am or whatever. Like they're in it like together. And when yeah. someone tries to get rid of Chico, like, oh, we have to get rid of that maid. She's like, Chico stays. She doesn't even.
0: No. Move. It's like, if she's she goes, like, I go kind, kind of.
1: of. Yeah. Um, so that kind of friendship between the races is another thing that. I really people, like about that. Yeah. yeah. But when people talk about the code, you know, it's really worth it to go look and see the things that were, are actually in that code because it's not just addressing nudity and sex and violence. It's saying no mixing of the races. Yeah. Respect the flag. Don't, um, you know, all police officers need to be treated with respect. All priests can't be comic figures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, banning interracial. Any kind of, so you can feel a difference when
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know what would Chico have. I don't know. It's it's a unique portrayal. Yeah, one of
0: those cringe worthy characters that we saw in the late '30s and '40s, probably. Yeah, or just any time really. Exactly. But yeah,
1: exactly. um And so Teresa Harris is really wonderful, and she um is is funny, but you can. But they're just in unequal footing, and how much they hate yeah. their lives, and how like. They're like, let's, let's go figure this out. We don't have to do this anymore. Let's just go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then once they get to the office and Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand, Barbara Stanwyck starts yeah. climbing up the floors and you can see the camera. I love that. Camera I
0: know. Yeah. It's almost like she, each yeah. man
1: on a floor. Um, it almost turns like almost farcical, which is it does. Yes. That because men are, literally being ruined
0: lives are being ruined yeah. in five minutes
1: um but she doesn't
0: care no yeah i can't imagine um people discovering this movie for the first time like in the last few years in the wake of like me too or you know showing I mean back then it would have been like the casting couch. And of course this happened every every single job and in industry. But it's kind of interesting that it's um Stanwick doing it. She, right, it's because so she's so good. Yeah. Here, like, okay, Yeah. You know, I've been used for sex
1: my whole you know, basically my whole life. If you you know, yeah. she's no childhood, that was what it was. Um so now the only way that I can even survive. This is the only reality that I know. Yeah. It's my weapon. Use yep. the men. And I can't assume that they're, there's no good men out there. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's her. No, you know? I know. It's um, the cynicism of the. Yeah. You know, so you just feel, and in general, Okay, now I'm trying to think of the men like John Wayne, a young, hot John Wayne. I go, like yeah. You, you know, like he doesn't stand a chance with her.
0: He's going to oh, no, eat the, him alive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but he, you know, he's not a, he's a sweet guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <The>, uh, <laughs> kind of naive about her sex. It's, it's if she goes higher up in the hierarchy. They get more duplicitous and sleazy shark-like. and shark like. Yeah. Control her. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea again what they're dealing with. No. Um, yeah. And then though, doesn't she she does kind of realize at the end. Yes. She does the moment.
0: The whole Paris um yes. part of the story, yeah. which kind of felt like a different movie a little bit. Yeah. Like we have yeah. most of the movie this sort of play on you know, uh, flipping the script on gender and sex and who's using who and the question of like is some there's always somebody they say like more in love or more invested, and in what are right. the reasons giving sex for love or love for sex? And so she makes it very transactional. And then the last chunk of the movie, after some horrible stuff had happened, she winds up in Paris. And, yeah, it feels like something out of a completely different tale, yeah. but, Then when, um, I'm not going to spoil it, more drama happens with the man that she's with. uh, At first, you think she's, you know, there's still some of that girl there. And I think by the end, she, I don't know, maybe because of the censors or they just wrote it that way. But, yeah, she kind of learns and adapts, maybe kind of like Joan Blondell's character did in Three on a Match. Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe,
0: I don't know, or yeah. does
1: she? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to see to revisit those people ten years yes. later. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <you
0: know. laughs> Who's still alive? Uh, no, I'm just
1: kidding. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, how did this? How did this all work out? But I think one of one of the things, one of the reasons why this movie is so, um, it's still so disturbing, is because of those opening sequences. I think if you had just if you had just started it with this sort of man eater yeah at the office only again just like with um public enemy it feels like it's it's making a connection yes in that childhood abuse, hopefully a little bit of understanding about why people might make these might make these choices that um still to this day get people you know people get very angry, very judgmental. And I'm not saying that Lily behaves in an appropriate way, no, but, but it's interesting. It's not about that. It's about, um, you know, I mean, actually, I don't know what it's about. It's a very weird movie, but like the the Nietzsche aspect of it is uh, it makes me laugh every time, you know, because yeah, it's interesting. It's a cobbler. It's a cobbler. Who has seen it all? He sees what has happened to her and is like, okay, well, you have this thing. Men want to sleep with you. Use it. Don't let mm-hmm. them use you. Use it. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, not terrible. I mean, it's advice. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, I don't know. It's very dark. It's very dark.
0: It is. It's interesting because I re or I've. Revisited um, redheaded woman while I was watching yeah. this, and I couldn't remember if I had seen redheaded woman a hundred percent. I knew I'd seen uh, babyface, but I feel like this one is more moral and yeah. more interesting. Like not moral, but a little bit as far as making that inference to this is all she's known. She's been abused. Whereas Red-Headed Woman, I mean, it just opens and Jean Harlow is like, well, I'm a gold digger and I'm going to sleep with yeah. married men and get what I want. And um, right. this one, you can kind of understand the Stanwyck character a little bit more, even yeah. if you don't like 100% yeah. agree with her, obviously. But yeah, yeah you feel yeah. for her um, and wish she'd had half a chance growing up um, better, hopefully. Yeah. yeah, It's like what yeah, we you do.
1: You definitely can't see it as I mean, this is one of the things with code, you know, code films that, that make them stand out so much is mm-hmm. that she it's um, the film. It's not that the film doesn't have a point of view towards her cause that's not true, but it doesn't have a, it doesn't have a need to tell us here's how to think. And we're going to now show that she repents and we're going to, you know, you know, like I'm using quotes, but like sluts need to repent. We yeah. need to show them <laughs> see the error of their ways, um, you know, and that became increasingly psychotic as the decades went on. And to yeah. like, the fifties and the sixties where it's really like the image, the sex is just so messed up. At, at yeah. That Leads to ruin um, every time. Yeah, Every time. And, and that's, not as much the case. I mean, it is. You know, you see something like three on a match, and you see a woman's downfall, but it doesn't have that. She had sex, and therefore she's. It's. It's more just like this. Sometimes happens.
0: Yeah. Sometimes
1: happens now. Babyface though is different to me. To me, this feels almost like a surreal film. It doesn't, or or like it a
0: does. I don't think we're supposed to take horror. it
1: literally. Yeah. It yeah. A literal um, mm-hmm. story, and it more like a. I don't know a fairy tale it feels like a little bit like yeah a little bit. or something that
0: uh, um, a fable feels yeah like a fable it's fodder for it's one of those movies you see and then the most interesting aspect is the conversation you have after at the coffee shop yeah. basically right right yeah right yeah. Well, our final film today is the first comedy, although obviously many comedies were made in the period, we're talking about producer-director Ernst Lubitsch's Design for Living, which was written by Ben Hecht again, in a very loose adaptation of the hit Noel Coward play of the same name and starring three effervescent Paramount leads, Miriam Hopkins, Frederick March, and Gary Cooper as three American artists in Paris having met two roommates painter george played by cooper and playwright thomas march on the train commercial artist Gilda, hopkins finds herself falling for both of them realizing she can't choose between the two she decides to move in with both men so long as they agree that there will be no funny business since this is all for art of course rules are meant to be broken so when thomas travels to london for his play george makes his move which leads to more humor romance and hijinks Uh, things get interesting a hit with sparkling dialogue and chemistry between its leads i had actually recorded this one on digital shortly before sheila even suggested the topic so i feel like this was a cool twist of fate and meant to be and i loved revisiting it so what do you think of design for living
1: well, I thought it would be fun to do, to do this one because the other ones are all pretty heavy. Yeah, you know, It would make it seem like this sort of era only cared about, but that's so not the case. No, not at all. And Lubitsch's films are definitely um, like tr- uh, trouble in paradise. I mean, he, his film and jewel robbery is another great one. Oh yes. I yes. just
0: watched that. I yeah.
1: love that movie. Um his touch is very different, and his uh, sensibility is very different. He's not going to be a ripped from the headlines kind of expose on no. crime type guy. Um, but what he gets away with in Design for a Living is unbelievable. I oh mean, when you gosh. really think know. about what the situation is um, and how successful this film portrays it like win-win I mean by the end it's like win-win to everybody like what there's nothing um like a successful menage a trois Mm -hmm. ongoing relationship um is just incredible I mean it's 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 I don't know it's still kind of amazing to me yeah
0: really it really is. is
1: yeah and it's so funny and sweet, but it's also super sexy, like super. It is. Yeah. Crazy, sexy. Um, again, with not too much euphemism, it's clear what they're saying. They say sex, no sex. We're going to have, when we all move in together, it's going to be no sex. It's a gentleman's agreement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then finally she's like, well, I'm not a gentleman.
0: You know? I-, I know. That's so good. Some of the lines in this movie are just yeah. oh top yeah. notch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so we have this wonderful opening scene where nobody speaks for, I didn't put a staff boy. Yeah.
0: It's so quiet and she's drawing and yeah, I love it. Yeah. Things happening. Very intricate.
1: Every single though. So there's the, you know, train, very romantic, you know, setting, there's a moving train Yeah, and there's two guys. Gary Cooper and Frederick March,
0: mm-hmm. gorgeous,
1: sleeping. And then Miriam Hopkins, who looks absolutely adorable in a little beret. I know. Sits down in between. So they have their feet up on the opposite seat. And so she sits down kind of in between and starts sketching them because the two of them in their sleep, it's like a, I mean, it's very erotic film. They're just the, even the, um, Camera angles of this first scene, like close-ups of hands brushing hands, and like feet touching, they're on top of each other in this
0: yeah apartment. Very provocative. Yes.
1: It goes on for forever, and then the guys wake up. They think she's French. They speak in French for a while. Then they realize that she's American, and they're like, "Oh, now we're all best friends," and it makes complete sense that that <laughs> the case. Um, And then, of course, things get co- more and more complicated as she is torn and says at one point, "You know, something's happened to me that I thought only happened to men." Which is, I know, it's I get so bold. Variety. Yeah, I get to have. I'm interested in variety of partners. I want to mm-hmm. try. What does she say? I women try on different chapeaux. I know. I, I couldn't
0: believe that. On,
1: different men and Mm -hmm. at first the guys are like yeah okay but and they're best friends there's a lot going on here but the what I love is what it what the film avoids what it doesn't do she's not some you know
0: minxy back and forth she's not like a game player at all no She's not Stanwick uh, in the movie we just saw. Like no. At all. She's
1: no. A, yeah, She's a girl next door. Born, and eventually she makes the worst possible choice and marries Edward Everett Horton, which why would you do that to yourself? Why I know, would you've
0: you got, that got that Frederick March and Gary Cooper? Come and on. Finally
1: it's like a slumber party. You know, they come and rescue her and I mean she kisses one, then the other. And yes. like Yeah, the end oh man. She doesn't have to choose. So this no. is, and everyone's happy. Um, but the yeah. other element of it that I love is that, yes, eventually there is jealousy that comes. Like at mm-hmm. first, they one of them thinks, she, oh, she's in love with me. She's two-timing them, but it's really just, she's not sure. She yeah. doesn't want to pick. She doesn't want to choose. And the friendship between the men is just as important. Like
0: it friendship. is, yeah. They don't make her the villain or the quote-unquote Yoko or whatever that's going to break them up. Um, they're friendship. a little just, yeah, as uh, confused as she is. It's yeah, and I they was, love each other. The they guys do. love each other. Yeah, it's
1: also absolutely. rare to see, you know, a kind of male friendship that's just kind of, you know,
0: like that, which also. Yeah. Causes- Chosen family again, but not in a gangster picture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in bed together.
1: Yeah. It's all, it's so interesting.
0: Yeah. You can always read between these lines. And I love when I was watching it, it's like it dares to say the thing aloud that, you know, everyone knows but doesn't say, which is you can totally be in love with more than one person at once. And this movie, yeah, it doesn't make anybody a villain. It's just, Love is complicated, attraction, you can't maybe get all your needs met in one person. Right. And they're just trying to figure it out too. Right. I I actually have not read this play. I'm sure you're probably more familiar yeah, with it. No, I haven't um,
1: read it either. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard Coward was uh, made a joke. Like I had, I heard they only kept two of my lines. You know, past the mustard, or he made some kind of joke like that. So I don't know if he was a big fan, but well, there was the the casting of the
1: casting was very controversial. If you want to call that. That's what I that.
0: heard. Yeah,
1: Barry Cooper, who had been doing. Um, you know, he was well-known. He was a cowboy. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, all this kind of stuff, but he wasn't seen as able to, he wasn't seen as a Lubitsch type of actor. No. And I think he was not the first choice. I think that, or Frederick March. Um, I think it was um, Ronald Coleman and Leslie Howard were like the ones. So that gives oh, you okay. a kind of vibe, which is much more Noel Coward close yeah. vibe, those. um, But they went another way and, because they went another way, and since Miriam Hopkins, it just sort of slides the British over into America. There's like a, by casting it this way, and, I mean, nobody believes, I don't believe that Gary Cooper wants to be a painter in this movie. I don't believe. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. He's not believable as a starving artist in a Paris Garrett, and he doesn't have to be believable. No. It's irrelevant to what is really interesting, mm-hmm. which is these two really good friends who are both in love with this really awesome woman, like a really yeah. cool woman and don't know how to negotiate it. And I think it's really funny too, that neither of them are particularly talented at their art.
0: I just know you a kind of get that piece, vibe. You know? Like when he's talking about his play, you're like, what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that
1: they aren't like hidden geniuses. They're more like
0: no, they're, they're but they just love each and other and are going to be each other. big cheerleaders for it. For sure. So, yeah, so
1: I think the casting of Cooper was just, and so people went into it with a negative attitude about he's not a no cow, you know. But eventually, and he's not, he's not a verbal kind of guy, but he could, he could, you think of like Ball of Fire. I mean, Yes, one of my
0: favorite Hawks movies. Yeah,
1: yeah, you don't buy, of course, but the conceit is it's like Cary Grant bringing up baby or something. Yes, the mm-hmm. the fun part is seeing this hunk, play yeah, get
0: humbling. completely undone by
1: nerd. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so I think um, I don't know. I, it it seems like this might not have the reputation that something like some of other of Lubitsch's films um I'm not sure I'm not sure why but uh
0: yeah I like to it's you know it's a love triangle but it's doing things differently what you had just mentioned with um Bringing up baby, and Sheila wrote the essay for the new criterion. Yay! But um, that one is kind of a daffy woman. Um, but this one, you know, Miri, um, she's just Miriam Hopkins is just like somebody you would know, like you would have gone to school with, and it's just an everyday girl. So I, I really like that aspect too. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Totally um,
1: relatable not like screwball energy she's not a ditzy heiress she's no <laughs> you know, uh you know kind of talented but not particularly driven you know she does mm-hmm. characters she does drawing napoleon in his underwear i mean that's how she makes her yeah you know, in an advertising office and um is yeah she's very it's very down to earth in this weird way it's just not um eventually by the end, we see some like nice apartments and she's like all dressed up and stuff like that. But it's, that's you know, like a, a shorter, mm-hmm. you know, that's the tail end of it for the most part. It's her flopping herself dramatically onto that bed with like little clouds of dust that come up every time she does. Yeah, it's very bohemian. And yeah, she's like, Oh, and she falls back on the bed. <laughs> um, she's yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. This this movie still it doesn't shock me because nothing shocks me. But it's just very, um, yeah. You can't even believe it even exists in a yeah. way. you know. To me, it's like a utopia. That's like a perfect world. Like, I, I know. Want to
0: world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it's kind of worked out that way, and everybody is happy. Kind of happy with it. Yeah, and everyone gets what they
0: want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Everybody wins. Yeah, nobody's getting gunned down here. We love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Well, obviously, this is just a sampling of the many pre code movies from the era. And we talked about um, including many others, but we didn't think we'd be able to get to that or I would have monopolized Sheila for like a week. So we mentioned everything from like Jewel Robbery and the Gold Diggers movies, Red Headed Woman. Are there any other films you'd like to recommend those listening to check out or any thoughts you have on the period and its personalities? Yeah, I did ha- I put together a little list. I can oh, good.
1: Um, the Heroes for Sale that I mentioned. Yes. Um, Night Nurse is another great one. Oh, Stanwick Is that Wellman? Uh, yeah. And um, yes. And yeah. Uh, it's it's really, really good. It um is. uh Temple Drake, which Criterion just released, that's also with Miriam Hopkins and it's super good. It's based on a William Faulkner novel that okay. he didn't really yeah, it's it's very disturbing again, kind of you know sex trafficking and
0: yeah
1: rape and you know it's um very frank again about these things and um heroes for sale which i mentioned but there's a lot of um uh box sets that have come out
0: like forbidden hollywood yes, those have been wonderful yeah the Forbidden those Hollywood, really good midnight mary love that one so a bunch I just of just recorded that off tcm i need to watch it
1: it's a really good one yeah, yeah. it's similar it has some similarities to um three on a match, it's like reform school. And then you go into crime, you know, you come out of juvie and then you're yeah. screwed, you know, <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. So there's still so much more for me to discover, but it has been really fun to talk about these kind of broad. We didn't really get into the political. There are definitely some political mm-hmm. uh, codes, but it's sort of a broad spectrum of kind of what was going on.
0: Um, Yeah. Last night, I watched one uh, that was new to me, Flesh, with uh, Wallace Beery. Okay, I
1: haven't seen that one.
0: Wow, he was so good. He plays like a wrestler from Germany who helps this woman who just got out of jail and she's got a scheming lover who poses as her brother. So a little days of heavenly, but um, you know, she, he gets taken for a ride, but then she feels bad. Yeah. That was really good. I think it's yeah. on the TCM app as we're recording this, but okay, okay. there's still so many I need to see. So yeah. I was very yeah. excited to discuss some of these with you. Thank good. you for being here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I know this oh, was anytime. so much fun. <laughs> yeah come back we'll talk about more movies all right <laughs> all right thanks you this is jen johans at filmintuition.com and film intuition on social media and Letterboxed. and this is watch with jen